Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. The title of today's um, message is The Other Side. The Other Side. I want to start by sharing um, this bit of encouragement, just in case you're sitting here wondering um, if this is actually going to apply to your life or not. If there ever was a word, I can guarantee you, this was the word. And it's nothing to do with, with myself and anything I come up with, but it's mainly because four weeks ago, um, after we had the service where there was no direct preaching of the word, um, and we had that great time of worship, the next morning, the Lord began to piece together this word. And he specifically told me, he said, whatever Deji's about to preach, I'm going to preach this after. So the part two would be written, even as the part one hadn't even been shared yet. Which tells me that there must be a level of intentionality to these words. That you guys had to be here today. That I had to be here today. That we had to hear this today. Elder Deji did an incredible job last time out in aligning our sight as to our giftings, our callings, our destiny. And I'm going to just add a bit of flavour for the seasoning, as it were. Um, because the Lord had spoken to me the night before that Sunday. What happened was I was out of bed in, uh, in Brooklyn with Lucy and, and the gang. And... As I'm driving into this event, I'm, I'm getting really nervous. Um, not quite scared, but just nervous. And the thing that kept coming to me was, all these people are coming down tonight. They've paid their money. Some of them maybe the first time being to a, a mass worship gathering since the pandemic. They paid their money to hear me worship and to receive from that which God has placed on me. And that shook me to my core. It's, it hit me to think that David Powell, born 15th of the 5th, 1989, would be in this position now with my story, with the twist of turns and ups and downs, with the faith, the doubt, the everything, that there would be people who would care enough to come into a room of expectation, oh, he's on, right, I'm ready to receive from Jesus. And so I got a little nervous. It wasn't a nerves based on any arrogance. It was more the feel getting wrong. I didn't want to get to the end of the night and, and look out and think, ah, oh, maybe I missed it today. Maybe I didn't do what the Lord has called me to do. I know my calling. I know what he's told me to do in this generation. And I didn't want to get to the end of the night and have, and, ah, maybe I, just because of my own failure in some way. So I was nervous. The nerves stuck with me for a long time, longer than maybe usual. I tried to shake it, tried to pray my way out of it. Didn't work. Tried to talk about it, spoke to the news about it in the car. Didn't work. Then it shifted. And then when, when we were praying, getting ready for to, to, to start to open the doors, 
The Lord said to me a phrase, and he began to explain it. I'm just going to give the phrase first, then we'll go into a bit of scripture, and I'll give the explanation that he gave to me. And he said, on the other side of responsibility is trust. On the other side of responsibility is trust. And he began to explain what he was speaking about, and it shifted this pressure that I felt as nerves this inward demand I was placing on myself to be that which he called me to be. So when I hear the Deji speak about our giftings, our callings, and our destinies, and we're all now in this alignment, pressing on towards the things that he's placed in our hearts, it's important to share some of these things because we have a responsibility in this generation, we have a responsibility in this area, responsibility in this building. But on the other side of responsibility is trust. Now, to each one of us has been given a place in the kingdom. Okay, a place in the mosaic of the kingdom. The kingdom is a mosaic. What do I mean by that? A mosaic, if you've ever seen one, uh, the Romans used to have one. There's some down at Hampton Court Palace, if you've ever been down there. And a mosaic is, is beautiful in the sense that from a distance it looks one way. When you get up close, you see the different colours, the variations, the shades. And so I boldly say, in the mosaic of the kingdom, there's no one who can worship like me. Not from any point of arrogance or patting myself in the back, but just because I understand how the Lord has pulled all these stories together. But at the same time, as there may be no one who can worship like me. There's no one who can do the investments like you. There's no one who can teach like another person. Has there's no one who can parent like another person. Has we all have these giftings, these callings, these these coming together of this, this beautiful picture which from a distance the Lord calls his kingdom. Well, if you were to see it individually, you wouldn't get how it pieces together. If I was to take five or six pieces of the mosaic out, you would call it an incomplete piece of art. Its value would diminish. Now, by that I mean, let's say it's a picture of a, an individual, a mosaic and a picture of an individual. You might be the nose bit. Slap back in the middle of the mosaic. Or you might be that little shade of red that was needed to do the contrast in the sunset. If we didn't have you, we don't have the sunset. If we don't have the sunset, we don't have the awe-inspiring. Did you see that part? And so the kingdom needs every single one of us to step up into these giftings, callings, and the destiny. I need you. I actually need you. So now is not the time to shrink back. Now is not the time to turn to the left or to the right and to come up with any sort of excuse or to let an excuse take root in our heart why we don't pursue the things of God. Now is the time somehow, some way, as a collective and individually to find a way to press through the inconvenience, press through the doubt, press through the nerves, press through the, the fear, and find a way to realise these destinies. Because the mosaic, the kingdom, needs each and every single one of us. If you could, you turn uh, to Matthew 25, verse 14. I'm the signal is my water. Jesus. 
So Matthew 25, 14. I'm going to read the whole thing all the way down to 30. You've probably heard this one before. Um, and there's two things in particular I want to um, pick out. I said 25, don't I? I'm on 24. For it is like, so this is talking about the kingdom of God, this mosaic. It is like a man who is about to take a long journey and called his servants together and entrusted them with property. To one he gave five pounds, probably five thousand pounds. <coughs> to another two, to another one, to each in proportion to his own personal ability. Then he departed and left the country. He who had received the five talents at once uh, went at once and traded with them, and he gained five talents more. Likewise, he who received the two talents, he also gained two talents more. But he who received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. And he who received the five talents came and brought him five more, saying, Master, you entrusted to me five talents. See here, I have gained five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, upright, honorable, admirable, and faithful servant. What a tag to have from the master. You have been faithful and trustworthy over a little, and I will put you in charge of much. Enter into and share the joy, the light, the blessedness which your master enjoys. And he also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. Here I have gained two talents more. The master said to him, well done, you upright, honourable, admirable, faithful servant. Again, the nickname. You have been faithful and trustworthy over this while we put you in charge of much. Enter into and share the joy. So the light, the blessedness which your master enjoys. Verse 24. The one who had received one talent came forward, uh, saying, Master, I knew to be a harsh and demanding man, reaping the harvest where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid to lose the talent, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is your own. But the hidden master answered him and said, You wicked, lazy servant. Again, not the nickname for the master. <laughs> you knew that I reap the harvest uh, where I do not sow, and I gather where I do not scatter seed. Then you ought to put my money with the bankers, and that by return I would receive my money back with interest. So take the, so you take the talent away from him. Give it to the one who has the ten talents. But to everyone who has and values his blessings and gifts from God and use them wisely, more will be given, and he will be richly supplied so that he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, because he has ignored or disregarded his blessings and gifts from God, even what he does have will be taken away. We can probably just leave it there. Can we go back to verse 15? It says here, to one he gave five talents. To the other two, to another one, each one according to his own ability, and then went on his journey. Each one according to his own ability. If there's one thing, and I know I've mentioned this on the Wednesday nights that I've shared, there's one thing that I believe the Lord has desperately killed over the past two years during the pandemic, it is comparison. It is the danger and the threat of comparison between me and my brethren in the church, between one church and another church. Finally, it was never about how many uh, how many services you did. Finally, God got the opportunity to just minister to his people when it wasn't about how great the sound system was or how great your worship team was or how great the, the, the teaching was. It was 
It was just about, can I meet with you in your room, yeah. in your kitchen? Don't look to the left, don't look to the right. I am jealous about just you. And so the focus of our Christianity has now changed, hopefully for the, for the better and for, for good. And that instead of looking to all these the paraphernalia of, of Christianity, and, and, and I'm all for a good sound system, good worship, good teaching, all for that. But if that be the goal, we've completely missed it. Amen. So it encourages me to hear, you know, you say about, you know, there's been a presence here. Because if there's been one thing I prayed for two years straight, and I took the worship team over, I said, Lord, if your presence be not with me, let us not go. My wife prays it all the time, and she says, Holy Spirit, I don't want to be one moment behind you. Wherever you are, that's where I want to be. And it works. <laughs> Trust me. <coughs> so, so we have this, this, this opportunity now to, to, to navigate through Christ, Christianity and our walk based on the reality that God has de- is dealing with us according to our own ability. What does that say? That means that the Creator Himself knows His creation yes. with uh, with a level, like I said, intention and, and an acute um, understanding of the design that He knew your story before your story was ever written. Yeah. Again, I say this because this is my own story, and He knows the ups to downs. He knows the twists and turns. He knows when you lose the building and have to buy it back without money. He knows those stories. Even before he said, launch the school. Even before he said, take over the church, he knew we were going to lose one Mayfair. And yes, it hurt. Yes, it hurt when we had to move out of this one and go into this hotel and shift and shift and shift and shift. He knew all of that. And yet said, I want you guys. He knew we may lose some numbers. Some members may turn and say, you know what, not for me anymore. The nomadic life, I can't do it from one place to the next. He knew that it would be hard to, for us to deal with the loss of relationships. Some of our best friends, our, our greatest um, you know, colleagues in, in, in church, and all the things that they, they achieved with us and the battles we went into, and now they're, they're no longer touching base. He knew the pain we would go through, and yet he still said, I choose you. He said, it's to this church I want to entrust a measure of presence unlike anything else. This is the one. Yes, they're going to go through X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Yes, all of that. But this is the one that I want. This is the one. Come on. That's good. Let it be them. They may not understand which way I'm twisting and turning. And they may look at life. They may look at the wind and the waves and start to sink. But this is the church that I will entrust a measure of presence on my kingdom. And so it's for us not to look outside of ourselves. And I believe this building is perfect for that because literally we do not look outside of ourselves. <laughs> we are in the middle of the middle. Okay? And, so it's, 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 and I say this uh, almost in jest, but at the same time, guys, I do look at things very literally like that. God will place you in a particular place for a reason. So like I said to the leadership people, when we moved here, uh, this is Antioch. This is the coming together of all the different areas and, and regions in the country. Okay. This is the place where every road leads to Clapham Junction. 
And this is where he put the church called Commonwealth. That's a gift. That's one of the talents. But he's not giving it to us to burden us. He's not giving it to us to, 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 to bring us down or to cause us to fall or to trip. He's given it to us according to our ability. He gives us a worship team of the caliber that we have here according to our ability as a church to navigate and foster the presence of the, the, the presence of God in such a way that we all engage. That there will be some Sundays where we don't preach. But they won't be for the word. There'll be Sundays where only one song is sung and yet everyone leaves with a separate chorus. That is the beauty of the what he's entrusted to us and yet he says it's according to your own ability. Let's jump down to verse 24. This is the one who had the talent. Look <laughs> what he says. So, Master, I knew you to be. He says, I knew you to be a harsh and demanding yeah. man who opened the harvest where he did not sow gathering, where he did not scatter seed. Later on, the master says, Yes, I am the one who harvests where I don't sow and, and you know, reap where I don't scatter seed. So notice the perception that the, the one who had the one talent had was based on a little bit of truth, but then you had the lie. He perceived the master to be harsh and a demanding man. How many times have we, when assessing the gifts and talents that God has placed within us individually, or maybe even corporately, do we does our perception of God interpret how we then begin to maneuver? I could have been, I could have stayed in that place of nerves if I believed that God was going to judge me at the end of the night and say, you failed. There have been some incredible moments I've had in worship where I thought I was terrible. <laughs> and I'll be like, you know, in the car or on the bus or wherever. I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry, I missed it tonight. Yeah, I should have, man, I should have gone there or you should have sung that song maybe one more time maybe you would start and the Holy Spirit says well done you've been good today often times they come from you guys I'll be complaining often times they come from you we finish church I'm packing up and oh jeez that was a tough one hey man worship is really blessing today when you guys were singing that song man I just began to really believe again yeah Okay, so, so maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's time for us as a body of Christ to, instead of assessing success based on our, on our own standards, to just accept the well done. Come on, come on, come on. That's it. Just take the well done. So, whatever your gift and talent may be, the next time you're thinking about how you're going to take the next step, in that area, please, 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 your first port of call must be your perception of the Father. There's a great book that I wrote, I, I, that I, wrote. Um, I read as a, as a young whippersnapper called um, um, I Dared to Call Him Father by Bill Shake. I read it, I don't know, I don't know how old it was, but my mum gave it to me and I, I read it. It revolutionized my life. 
that book and uh, From Prison to Praise by Merlin Calendars, who's chapter in the African Army. Those two books redefine my perception of God. But I didn't realize that until 10, 15 years later. Mm. When other things I heard began to make sense, when I heard the gospel of grace for the first time, I went, oh, I can call him Lord and I can call him Father. Short commercial break. Doing the score, I'm tempted to go and talk to the bad news. Back. So, oh, perception of it has to be it has to be correct just one iota of a wrong perception will throw you completely off yeah okay take from me who's now drives a lot of the motorway going up to gigs and whatever case may be just one degree over a certain amount of time and you're in the wrong way yeah you're still going in the right direction but you can be in the wrong way that's worth. So, this is imperative for us, and this is something that I've learned to do every single day without fail for the past four years, is to spend time, the first thing I do, first thing I say is, Son of God, be glorified. And then I just begin to just expand on who the Father is. Who is he? Who is this creator? Who knows my very design? Who saw that I would go left, right, and he said, I'd pick you, beloved. Who is this, uh, this judge who's taken everything in front of him and said, I judge you with the blood of Jesus Christ? Yeah. The righteous judge, the shepherd, the lion, the lamb. I just, you can get lost, literally lost in Revelation about who he is. And then begin to act. So our specific callings must be viewed through the lens of a grace-based covenant. You must understand the covenant you have with the Father. You must understand the, the covenant of grace. If you are new to this, um, Hebrews is, for me, one of the best books to read and all this stuff. It kind of sets the two against each other, or the book of Romans, um, all the way through. But the reality of the situation is, guys, that we do because of who we are, not that we are because of what we do. Mm. So to prove that point, let's go to Ephesians 2, verse 10. Again, this is a, you know, it's a famous scripture. We've all read it probably a thousand times if you've been around church as long as I have, which is a long time. Okay. So it says here, for we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus and born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking parts which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. You can go back to the beginning of the verse. What came first, the works or the image? 
So that word there, his own handiwork or workmanship in some translations, is the word in the Greek poema, okay, uh, from which we get poem. I usually read this as we are God's own poem. I actually use that word in there just because I think it sounds a little cooler than handiwork. Um, let's say expression of love. So we are God's own expression of love. I thought he was going to do the back of the poem. For we are God's own expression of love. I actually don't need to read anything else. I am God's expression of love. So, let's blow my mind a little as we do. So when he was thinking about the 21st of November 2011, and who would share, he said, I need to have my expression of love. When he was thinking about who would lead this church, he said, I could have picked this person up, but I had to have my expression of love. When he was thinking about who was going to go into that meeting this week and speak to the, to the board about the decision they're about to make, he could have picked Gabriel, could have picked Michael to show up. Swords and blades and doodle, doodle. No, 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 that wasn't good enough. He looked at the cherubim and all their, their beautiful designs and, and the colours and their wings and the eyes and how many eyes they have. And he looked at the seraphim and he said, No, 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 you guys don't qualify for the task I have. For these works that are prepared before time even began, for these, these journeys, these paths that need to be navigated. I can't ask Gabriel to do this. I can't ask Michael, the chairman and the seraphim. I can't ask any one of the two-thirds of the angels that left to do with this. I need to have my expression of love in the building. The works have such a value that he wouldn't pick anyone else but his own. It had to be his own. It had to be the one that he formed and fashioned in their mother's womb. Had to be the one that he saw from afar. What does uh, Ephesians later when it says, um, "Remember, in times past, um, you were separate from Christ. You were strangers to the, co- the covenants of promise and aliens to the commonwealth of Israel. There was no hope in your world. You had no God. But you, who were once far away, have been drawn near by the blood of Christ. Yeah. It's you that he had to pick. It, it, it couldn't be anyone else. You know, so." So you may see that, that board meeting as, as uh, a hiccup in the week, uh, inconvenience to have to navigate. He sees it as something so precious that only the expression of his love could handle this moment. Only the expression of love could play that bass guitar that way. If I, I could pick any of the angels up in heaven, I could have made myself a whole new one with the base on the inside of it, yeah. as I've done once before. <laughs> but I'd rather make in my own image. And to him, I will call him my expression of love, my poema. Like I said, Gabriel and Michael were not good enough candidates. You had to be the apprentice. You had to be the one hired for the job. You had to be the one selected for the path that it says it's been navigated, it's been already preordained that you're going to walk in it. But what comes first is the identity first, the activity second. Yeah. I've said this a thousand times, and I will say it the rest of my life because it is my life message. Identity first, activity second. 
And until we as the body of Christ understand this, we will continue to struggle building the Tower of Babel and doing all this activity when we just need to be sons and daughters. And if we would be sons and daughters, like Mike Bickle said, there are two types of people in the kingdom, lovers and workers. It's the lovers that get the work done. So I would rather be Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus. But that is the greatest work. John 6, 29, I think it is. You know, he's asked by the disciples, what is the work of the kingdom that we may do it? So their intentions were so pure. The disciples wanted to do the work of the kingdom. What is the work of the kingdom that we may do? He says, just believe. Sorry, what? <laughs> Think about it. To the, Jew, to the Jewish boys hearing him say that, who, you know, they lived their whole life with these terms and conditions. He said, no, let me take that away because they were the greater role I have for you. Just so the Christian who devotes himself to being completely brand new in their God-given identity will, by default, find themselves equipped to walk in the work set aside for them. Those of you who know me know I'm passionate about healing and sickness. I saw more healings when I decided to stop focusing on the healing and focus on who I am in Christ. Just, I was sitting there for hours on end talk about his pursuit of me. The most incredible moments I've ever spent with anyone said, enjoy my pursuit. This is how much I'm chasing you. And I would open the scripture and realize he chased me for thousands of years through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Because I'm in those books somehow, some way. Through <laughs> Joshua, into Psalms. There's, there's songs he wrote songs about me. I thought I was even an idea in my mum's mind. There was a song written about me. Literally, Psalm 39, 20, I found my servant David. I've mentioned him before. There's a song written about me. <laughs> So I find myself in the scriptures and I realize all along you were chasing me. And then finally you found me up on that hillside at the cross, at the cross, where I first. Yeah. Come on. That's where I was found. And all of a sudden, as his arm went that way and his arm went this way, yes, you may have saw a body battered and bruised. I saw a marriage proposal. On that course, he said, will you love me? Because I love you. Will you be mine? Will you accept this new identity? And I said, yes. And he rejoiced. The angels rejoiced when I said, yes, thousands of years later. And even after I said, yes, and I went this way and that way, he still was like, I choose you. Yeah, Ephesians 4, 22, 32. Let's go there, because if we don't, I'll never leave. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Yes, Lord, this is good. What did he say, Ephesians 2? Sorry. Um, so, Ephesians 4, 
22. And I can't find the fusion. Someone took the fusion out of this. I used to make apologies for my tears and I realised that I've said this before, I know. Um, the Lord said to me, so there are no tears in heaven. But when you cry, I come near so that I can have you can have your tears in your world, even with me folks. Yeah, so from that point on, I just cry. Ephesians 4, 22-32 says that regarding your previous way of life, you put off your old self, completely discard your former nature, which has been corrupted through deceitful desires, and be continually renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh, untarnished mental and spiritual attitude. Verse 24 is incredible. And put on the new self. The regenerated and renewed nature created in God's image, God like in the righteousness and holiness of the truth, living in a way that expresses to God your gratitude for your salvation. Can I just ask you a question? Um, as you read that, did you see an if, a but, or a maybe? He said, and put on. It's possible. It is possible to put on the new self, the regenerated and renewed nature, created in God's image, God like in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. Verse 25, therefore, rejecting all falsehood, whether lying, defrauding, telling half-truths, spinning rumours, any such as these. Speak truth, each one with his neighbour, for we are all parts of one another, all parts of the body of Christ. Be angry at sin, at immorality, at justice, uh, ungodly behaviour. Yet do not sin. Do not let your anger to shame, to cause you shame, nor allow it to last until the sun goes down. Do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge, nurturing anger, harm, and resentment, cultivating bitterness. The thief who has become a believer must no longer steal, but instead he must work hard, making an honest living, producing that which is good with his own hands, so that he will have something to share with those in need. We could go all the way down to verse 32, but I'm proving the point. What came first in that passage? The identity or the activity? This is how you do it. This is how you be angry but don't sin. Put on the new man. So if we're trying to do all these, and, and to be honest, this is a pattern that is throughout all the Pauline letters. He spends the opening chapters, right? We can look at it, I'll, I'll reset it, it's pretty cool. The opening chapters always speak about who you are in Christ. And then he gets onto the do's and the don'ts. Romans. One, two, three talks about how desperately wicked we are and how much in need of, of, of the Savior we are. Chapter four, he then goes into what did our father Abraham find. In five, he talks about grace. He starts to bring that into it, into the picture. Six, seven, he talks about the wrestling of the inner man and how we're fighting against our old man and whatnot. But then in eight, he pulls us back out into the no condemnation. Again, identity. Nine and ten, he talks about how we believe, confessing with our mouth unto salvation. By the time we get to 12, he then says, Therefore, in view of God's mercies, offer up your body as a living sacrifice. If I gave you that scripture without context, you'd be like, How on earth yeah. can I give up my whole body, my entire faculty, I believe it says in the Amplified, to God as a living sacrifice? The only way I can do that is, therefore, in view of God's mercies. Where are God's mercies? Chapter 1 to chapter 12. 
So he spends those first 11 chapters breaking down the mercies of God from every angle. And then he says, now do this. 13, 14, 15, 16. Full of doing. Yeah. Ephesians is the same. Husband's not the wife, the Come on the whole armor of God. But before we even get to that, in this same Ephesians 2, God, so rich is he in mercy. Because of the great, wonderful, and intense love of which he loved you, while she were yet sinners, Christ died. So he spends all this time on identity, because until you understand that, the activity won't have context. We see this in the time of, of Moses and Joshua, Joshua really, um, when the Israelites first got to um, the promised land under Moses, they shrank back because of fear of being undone in battle against the you know, what they called uh, giants and the grasshoppers in their sight. Fast forward 40 years, and the people group are back. Bible says that all of them that had come out of Egypt uh, by this time they're dead. The new generation who knew not Egypt. They saw and walked into the same land, which potentially had the same giants. They saw a city that was walled, a Jericho, right? Remember, these guys had grown up in the wilderness. They'd never seen a city like this before. You study it out, the archaeologists will tell you this wall, the wall was so thick, you had houses in it. Okay? It was an, an absolute you know, architectural feat. Of genius to be able to build this way. Actually, had two walls: the inner wall and the outer wall. And to that generation of believers, to that generation of Israelites, God says, "Walk in silence each day." I guarantee you, if He had said that to the first generation, they would have seen that as slavery. They'd seen it as work. The second generation saw it as faith. The first generation were a generation of slaves. The second generation were a generation of sons. And the slave, his walk, that's work. The son, his walk, that's, a, that's faith. It depends on the identity you forge on the inside based on the revelation of the love of God that he has. My gifting, it must be activated through him. For years I pursued excellence in my gift and outside of him, you know, hours of practice, but none of that equates to a moment of his presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was only when I came back from the university and the pastor when you say it to the to publicly, and it always sounded like it was just me and him in the room, he used to say, musicians, creatives, make sure you consecrate your gift. Every day, lay it down before Jesus. Because he said it to a thousand people, I felt like he was talking to me. And I've finally got into the habit of taking everything, my education, my, my degree in music, my, my experience of playing in church, this song and that song. I've done these songs a thousand times. I'll do it again. Rain, Jesus, rain. Okay. <laughs> cool. I'm going to do that song. Right. Consecrate before God. The Lord takes rain, Jesus, rain, and sets someone free from depression. What? He takes a lug spot and feeds 5,000. He takes a shout and brings it down the road around the city. 
It's the level of intention that we must have in our gifting to say, Father, this is from you, and it's of you, and it's yours. Yeah, that's good. I had something earlier which made me write this. A holy Levite will always be more precious and pleasing to the Father than a gifted musician. And we've had many a gifted musician in the body of Christ. But what about the Levites? Those who are consecrated. Let's extend that beyond music. But now once we start talking about music, everyone goes, ah, oh, why should she talk to you? <laughs> What about the bankers? Yeah. What about the estate agents? What about the mothers? What about the brothers? Let every aspect of your existence be consecrated unto God. And you will see God move. Like I said, a holy Levi is more precious than just a gifted musician. And surrender will always take you further than great initiative. Surrender will always take you further than initiative. Doesn't matter what chord I play, the most important chord I ever played is the one that was in obedience to the Father. Let it be the one that he told me to play, and we have a completely different worship experience here at Surrender and obedience is always, will always take you further than initiative. Saul found that out. He took the initiative. You know, tried to do his own <laughs> offerings and sacrifice and blah blah blah. Samuel walks up and goes, dude, come on. And then Samuel laments. <laughs> Samuel laments. And I love what God said. So Samuel, why are you crying? Get up, I found someone else. And when he found a 17-year-old boy, or how old he was, he was a teenager at the time, on the hillside of Bethlehem, but what had David discovered? David had discovered on that hillside, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yeah. He discovered on that hillside, one thing I desire, that which I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to gaze upon your beauty, to inquire of your temple. Way before he became king, way before he'd even slain Goliath, he was a man after he was a, after the Lord's heart. Way before the activity, he was a son. So when his activity was being discussed in the court of the king, it just opened up a door. I guarantee you, your name will be spoken about in places you don't even know. You're looking for that opportunity, and if someone's going to be talking about you somewhere else, Away from you, you may never even know which person recommended you. <laughs> but you get that opportunity. Wow. Get that investment. You get that return. Thank you you reach Jesus. Where you All because you spent time on the hillside daring to call him father. And to be passionate about investigating what that means to call him father. So yes, this is a part two about destiny and giftings and all that. Let's investigate what it means to call him Father. I don't have much left. Matthew 3, um, we, we, we've seen this before, it's, it's at the end. Uh, you don't really have to turn there, but in Matthew 3, when Jesus baptized, those of you that have been in church long enough, what, what does the Father say? 
This is my how many guys? How many miracles did Jesus done at that point? So what came first? The miracles or the pleasure of God? Pleasure. How are we then going to live? <laughs> it sounds simple and yet it is revolutionary. I've lived this for four years. And I guarantee you, if you do it for four hours, the way it changes your mind about things. Actually, fear becomes a second, a distant second option. Because you realize that before I even walked into this building today to share this word, I already was the beloved of the Lord in whom he well pleased. Yes. So actually, whether you think this word is good or not, I don't care. So I do. If no one ever said, and this is something he had to set me free from. Yeah. Before he gave me an opportunity to speak, he had to tell me, he had to reveal to me, and he did this quite. Um, Distinctly, how attached I was to the opinion of man. Yes. I would share something, and immediately I'd be like, "Was it good? Was it good?" And I needed someone to tell me, yeah. someone to text me and say, "You did good." Someone to call me, or someone to come up to me at the end, and I'd hang about waiting for this. Oh. <laughs> no, seriously, I'll be honest. I don't mind a minute. I'll, I'll be waiting. Someone tell me that I did good, and then the father said, "The only good." You Comes from you. You're preaching. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) So I just speak. Whether it's once a year, 10 times a year, 52 times a year, I just speak. That's the gift he's given me. And I know before you actually work, my place of refuge. It's a pleasure of God. That's awesome. This is my beloved son. Yeah, the King of Matthew 8, verse 2. Um, <laughs> this is a leper talking to Jesus. The leper obviously wants to heal. He comes up to Jesus and says, prostrate. Says, Behold, a leper came up to him and prostrated himself, worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you are able to cleanse me by curing me. Ability. Near the ability of the Father. Near the ability of Jesus. Where the question came into him was about the character. <coughs> if you are willing. And I believe pre-pandemic, we were so convinced to the 100% capacity of the Father to showcase his power. But as we navigate through those dark evenings and those lonesome nights, we had to now become acquainted with the willingness of the Father. He's not just the Father that delivers, he's the Father that he cares. It sounds almost like I'm splitting hairs, but I actually am, because it's important that we make that distinction. It's not just that he is able. I know he's able to show up right now and just smash through the place with his presence and Left, right, center, whatever, and he would be willing to. He's able to entrust the measure of presence to us unlike no other. And I say that because those are the very same words he said to me to pray over this church for the past three, four years. First from the worship team, and then the church. So now I will entrust a measure of presence to you guys unlike any other. And I prayed that. For the past four years, and seen it means. So when a few weeks ago, 
pastor Roy looked at me and said, where do we go next? I said, I don't know. And I was okay with not knowing. You know? So, <laughs> I was okay with, with not having the answers. I don't need to know every navigating route through the Pentagon. I'm okay with that. I'd rather chase him. That's right. So we don't know where we're going next. I think Antonio was leading. I'm like, we can do another song. We can stop here. We can lie down. We can jump up. We can swing. We can... Let's just wait. Because again, I'd rather do that which he said. Then do things because of any sense of tradition. Okay? So I'm going to go back to the investment banker. I don't know why. Do things that he says. It may seem to be wild and radical, but he is willing to give you the wisdom that he promised in First Corinthians one day. He's willing to give you the answers. He's willing to give you all these things. And so I'm going to go back to that statement I said at the beginning. On the other side of responsibility is trust. And what he said to me, which completely shattered any sense of nerves I had, was this. Dave, on the other side, don't call me Dave, call me son. Son, on the other side of responsibility is trust. Because I trust you. That's right. What? He said, this night, tonight, you're worshipping, I trust you. Before you ever trusted me, I trusted you. You're my parima, my handiwork. I picked you. Before you ever trusted me with your gift and the calling, I trusted you. I saw you from afar and I said, I need to have that. I need to have her in the building. I need to have them involved. And I trusted you and I trusted what I placed inside of you and I trusted my willingness and ability to bring it to bear. I know that when I speak, it doesn't fall to the ground without first doing that. Which, it doesn't return to me without first doing that, which is, I sent it out to be. So I trust you. Mm. In a similar fashion, you know, you know, we love him because he loved him first. I loved us first. In a similar way, we learn to trust him because he trusts us first. So I was able to go through that night and, and worship without, you know, um, worship with abandon because I had on the inside of me that he trusted. Even That's if really good. I got it wrong, he trusted me. Son, I trust you. Thank you, Father. And he felt, First Peter 2 9, we know this scripture, we've read it so many times here in this church. Um, it's one of our mantras, as it were. That you are a chosen race, a world priest, and a dedicated nation. <coughs> God's own purchased special people, that you may set forth the wonderful deeds and display the virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Again, notice the deeds come after the identity. You're a chosen race. You need to understand that first. The royal priesthood, dig into that. Dedicated nations, study that one out. God's own purchased special people, that's a whole other Bible study. So he did the work wonderful deeds. But he says that about us. I wouldn't trust a measure of presence unlike anything you've ever seen before because I trust that you can handle it. I'll put you in a school hall in the middle of Clapham 
and have you navigate through the uncertainty and the questions, maybe the slight kind of discontent. Why don't we have our building yet? Why are we not in that spacious place yet? We've done all these vision boards, we've done all this prayer. I've just been sowing money into the building fund for the past 10 years and still nothing yet. All those questions coming to that first Sunday, he says, I trust you yeah. with this opportunity. And the next building, the building that comes, the next one I believe is the one. I trust you. Mm. Whether it seats a thousand or ten thousand, it doesn't matter. He trusts that. Mm. Dave, I want you to leave this worship team. The pastor said that email on the 28th of January, I think, 2018, 17, maybe. The one thing I realized that the Lord trusted me. Because very, very nervous. Well, you, you said ascertain the caliber of musicians and worshippers in our midst. And you want to put me, one of the youngest, in a position of leadership. Why would you do that, Father? Because I trust you. Before you ever sung a note, before you ever launched a business, before you ever complete that degree, he trusts. That is the other side. And the other side of responsibility, we all have responsibilities, our gifts, our calling, our destinies, the responsibility we have in this generation. On the other side is trust. So the next time you think about your gifting and your calling, the next time you think about the fact that he's asked you to heal the sick. You know, when, when the Lord began to speak to me about that in 2011, one of the first things he asked me to do and I'm walking to the train station, was to pray for the sick. And I pooped. There's no one on this road. Pray for the sick. And he said to me, take your hand and turn it towards the houses and just release my healing power into this house. I did that day in, day out for about six, seven months. Every time I walked in that street, he would say, pray for the sick. Right? Just around the corner from where mum and dad lived. And so I walked down the street praying for strangers. And I never understood it. I just, like I said, surrender is better than initiative. So I just went, okay. And I'd walk just with my hand out, just praying. And you know, some of the prayers sounded great, I'm sure. <laughs> some of them I was tired. I was like, so then again, hand out. Right? Well, when the Lord takes you to Norway and a girl, you'll walk. Pain. She said, I can't do this. She said, her feet are deformed. She said, can you pray for me? And she's number 20 out of a long line of young people that just came forth with all these ailments. One had a bad back, another one had a stomach, another one. And we're praying with a language barrier. She said, you and a bunch of guys that you kind of came up with. And you see her the next morning at prayer breakfast. You open the door, and the first thing she says, I can walk. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. It's worth it all. Mm. I don't care how crazy I looked in 2011, walking past houses with my head like this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Because now, if anyone wants to come to me, I pray for strangers. I pray for people I can't even see. I pray for ailments and illness, and I don't even know they exist. So I can pray for you once you give me a little bit of input. I don't even need to know. Some of my people come to me and it's, um, yeah, there's been some incredible moments. 
There's so much greatness in this room. Father, we just, can we just lift our hands? Oh, can we just... Some of you walked into this room today and as I began to speak, you're up here, but I still don't believe. And whatever you've heard over the past hour has been just evidence. But maybe you still don't believe, and that's okay. It's not my job to make you believe. Yeah, Holy Spirit is present here and now to anoint you afresh with your faith to believe again. Yeah. Many of us are weary, we're tired, we're despondent. We've been waiting to see the move of God in this generation for years. We've dreamed, big dreams. Dreams so big that maybe we've said, Lord, stop giving me the dreams. I don't want to see it again because it stirs me, and yet I have to navigate through the difficulty of not seeing it come to pass. But then, two weeks later, we dream again. And if my story is anything to go by, your spirit gets excited when he speaks to you about your destiny. When he tells you about healing the sick across the nation, when he tells you about cancer being cured in a moment, when he shows you people jumping out of the wheelchair, your spirit begins to jump. It might be healing for one, it may be family for another, it may be evangelism for another. So I'm just going to shout out and that Holy Spirit infuse us again with the faith to believe that if we be called sons and daughters, then we can do the things, the great works that have been put in place for us. Just in your own way, just connect with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes all you need, sometimes all you need is just one word. You don't need the whole picture, just one word. Just a cloud the size of a man's fist. Ask him just for one word. Father, just 
One word, one picture, something I can hold on to for the next seven days. Then we'll talk about the other stuff. But I just need to see that first step on that first conversation, first decision. Jesus, we give you praise, we give you thanks, we thank you that even in this time you have begun again to impregnate us in your plans and your purposes. Just like when you committed your word to Mary, you described her as a handmaiden of the Lord. So we ask that you Unpack in our hearts our identity in you. Unpack in our hearts who we are to you. How you see us informs how we see you. And once that process is underway, we know that faith will rise. We know that worlds will begin to form as you begin to move on our imagination and bring to bear the giftings, callings, and destinies which you place within us. Let this day be a seminal moment in the journey. When as a church we finally decided as a collective with none in dissent that we will take the promised land. Whatever Jericho we come up against, we'll take it. Whatever journey you'll ask us to take, we'll take it. Safe in the knowledge that your presence is with us. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Blessed be we believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 